0: Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. This is a reading from the Gospel of John. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 7, 15 to 20. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also and you in me, and I in you. The word of the
2: Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'd invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Father, I ask that you send your spirit now on me and on every listening soul. Come, Holy Spirit, as fire and burn away everything in us that opposes you. And come, Holy Spirit, as rain and soften the soil of our hearts that we might receive the seed of your word. And that it would grow and our lives would bring great fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've probably had your fill of political drama this year. But since it's 2020 and we've all gotten used to being disappointed this morning, we've got some more politics for you. The year is 735 B.C., roughly when the most recent U.S. election began. And Ahaz, the Jewish king in Jerusalem, has a problem. His neighbors to the north have attacked him to try to force him into an alliance, an ill-conceived rebellion against the giant Assyrian Empire. And Ahaz is terrified by this, and so he decides to run in the other direction instead. He wants to form an alliance with the big bad, Assyria. In response, God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz, and Isaiah says, basically, don't do it. Don't sell yourself to the Assyrians because you're scared of your neighbors. Trust God instead. He won't let Jerusalem fall. Well, this is not what Ahaz wanted to hear from Isaiah. What Ahaz wanted to hear from Isaiah was that God was a big fan of the plans that Ahaz already had in place, the alliance with Assyria. And this is where this morning's reading begins. See Isaiah 7.10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of the Lord your God. In other words, okay, you're doubting the word of God, so go ahead, ask for a sign. I'll prove it to you that you can trust God. But Ahaz demurs, oh God, no, not me, I'd never put you to the test like that, which sounds good, but this is, this is sham piety, because Ahaz doesn't want to know God's will. He doesn't want a sign that'll tell him he has to do something else. To which Isaiah responds, "Arg!" That's an alternate translation of the biblical Hebrew, it's totally legitimate, Arg! Are you kidding me? Ahaz, you are so annoying, you will wear out God everlasting. Fine, he will pick the sign for you. And here it is. A virgin will conceive and bear a son and name him Emmanuel. And before the boy is old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, he will eat curds and honey because the two kings that you're scared of will be long gone. And what Isaiah means is that a baby is going to be conceived and born And before he's old enough to make moral decisions, so not too long, within a matter of years, he'll be eating the imported rural treats, curds and honey, that you couldn't get in Jerusalem when it was under siege. It's the grocery supply chain as divine sign. Think about that the next time Loblaws is out of toilet paper. And the child's name, Emmanuel, which means God with us, is the sign to Ahaz that God is doing this. Now, the prophetic mention of the mother as a virgin here isn't meant to imply a miraculous conception, not here. It's just a young woman getting pregnant. And it's unclear exactly who or whose this child Emmanuel is, and in this context, it actually doesn't matter all that much. Isaiah's point is for Ahaz to know that God is with his people and will get rid of this threat quickly. How quickly? Well, by the time a baby conceived now can be born and grow into a young child. That's the message of this burgeoning baby, Emmanuel, God with us. And to make a long story short, Ahaz doesn't listen. He goes ahead with his alliance and surprise, surprise, the giant imperial power that he invites in for protection winds up taking him over instead and turning Judah into a vassal state. And it's just the beginning of what will be eight centuries of virtually uninterrupted foreign domination over Jerusalem right up into the Roman occupation at the time of Jesus' birth. Which brings us to Christmas. Admit it, you were wondering how we'd ever get there. And what this prophecy, which in context you have to acknowledge is kind of brief and obscure, has to do with the coming of Jesus. Well, this isn't the last we hear of the Emmanuel prophecy. Centuries later, Matthew's Gospel tells us about a dream that Mary's fiancée, Joseph, has. In the dream, an angel talks to Joseph, and the angel tells Joseph that Mary, as a virgin and still a virgin, has conceived a son by the Holy Spirit. And the angel says that this has happened to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy about a virgin conceiving and bearing a child, Emmanuel, a name that means God with us, as the gospel points out. That is, Isaiah's prophecy was true back in the day of King Ahaz but it's even more true now with Mary. It's the same word, it's the same divine will shaping history as it passes through it. A virgin will conceive and bear a son whose name is God with us. But the first instance is only a misty approximation of the final fulfillment. It's like a a sunbeam passing through steam and you see it shaped vaguely, but you only recognize the stark clarity of it when it hits the solid wall. God with us. As we heard in the children's time, this is the fourth of four Sundays in the church season of Advent, the period of preparation for Christmas. It's where we get ready for Christ's second coming in glory by remembering his first coming in humility. And over the years, a tradition has developed of assigning a theme to each of the Sundays in Advent of something that Jesus brings. And as we've heard, the Sunday, the fourth Sunday, is love. And honestly don't know if there's any greater description of how God loves us than this name, Emmanuel, that God names himself through his prophet. Because God with us describes the comet of divine love that streaks across the pages of Scripture from beginning to end. It's comprehensive. God creates our first parents and they're all together in the garden, God with us. But through their own sin, they fall away from him. And the movement of God in response is to chase his creation like a skydiver hurling himself from a plane with no shoot. Hurtling toward the earth from which we are formed, free diving into flesh. To become God with us in body. In the very condition of our alienation from him. God with us us the divine humility of it is staggering it should drive us to our knees consider the order of it God with us my kids are at that amazing age where they still like being around me and they're always asking can we go with you can we go with you and that's how it works they come with me not the other way around because I'm the one with a credit card and feet that can reach gas pedals the kids come with the grown-up But Emmanuel, God with us, is the Lord humbling himself to tug at a pant leg and say, I want to go with you. I'll be with you. I'll join your stuff, your mess, your affairs. As if it's our business that's important. The vain strivings of people whose lives are like blades of grass, here today, gone tomorrow. And to us, God says, I'll be with you. It says so right here on my name badge, Emmanuel. That's who I am. That's who shows up at Christmas. Can we even distinguish between divine love and this divine humility? Are they even two separate things? But that's not the end of this love story. The love of God with us isn't simply that God joins us in our situation, but that he does so to take us into God's situation. There's a cute story told about a guy who falls into a pit and he hollers for help and finally someone comes along and looks down and he jumps right in the pit with him. And the first guy says, are you crazy? Now we're both down here. And the second guy says, yeah, but now you're not alone, which is like heartwarming until they both start getting hungry. But in the story of Emmanuel, God with us, the one who joins us in the pit is also the ladder himself by which we escape it. You and I live the lives we're given. We have to play the hands we're dealt, but not Jesus. Jesus chose to be born. He chose to be born so that he could take on our, our mortal life and bring us through death into eternal life. Jesus was born, lived, taught, died on the cross, descended into the dead, was raised and ascended into heaven so that we can know God. So that we can love God, so that we can be with God. Being united with God is the point of everything. And that's why God with us is the consummate expression of divine love. Because in Jesus, God is with us so that we might be with God. In Jesus, God is with us for a purpose. So that we might be with God. Look at our gospel reading, John 14. Look at what Jesus has planned. There are many rooms in my Father's house, and I go to make a place for you. And here it is, here it is. I will come again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Where I am, you may be also. God with us. We with God. Just not yet. And there's the sting that we all live in the midst of constantly. I will come again, but when? Because a thousand years may be a moment to God, but you and I, we live in time. We experience, it's time, we experience time painfully, it's drag, it's duration, like the slow scrape of sandpaper. And Jesus is saying, God's time isn't fulfilled yet, so we're going to have to wait And waiting hurts. And don't you know, church, that waiting hurts? Wherever you're hearing this, if you're waiting for a face at your door, or a voice in your ear, or a body in your arms, that you haven't seen, or heard, or held for far too long, and maybe you're not going to see, or hear, Or hold in this life. Wherever you are, whisper an amen if you know that waiting hurts. That nothing hurts quite like waiting. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, because it hurts. But this is what we've been saying. God with us isn't just a thing God does on some occasions. It is who God is. Here in John 14, Jesus is going to die. He's leaving this life. His friends are despairing and he says, I've got to go, but I'm not going to leave you alone. Verse 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit. He will give you the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. And verse 17, you know him, this helper, for he dwells with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. Verse 20. In that day, that is the day when I am gone, when the Helper, the Holy Spirit comes to you. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. That's some quantum metaphysics right there. Jesus is in the Father. We're in Jesus, but also the Father, Christ, and Spirit are in us. What does that mean? It means that God with us isn't just who God is. It's who we are. It's the most important thing about us. God with us defines who we are. We're with God. We're with God because God came to be with us in Jesus. And we're with God because the Spirit dwells in us. Transforming us by his power into the image of the Son, the Son in whom we presently dwell and who we will see again when he comes in glory in his second advent. God with us is who we are. In the future, yes, but not just in the future. Right now, God with us, we with God. But isn't that just too easy to forget, to lose sight of, in the face of the petty distractions and the profound sorrows of life? I mean, given that God has set up camp right in our hearts, you wouldn't think he'd be so easy to forget. You'd think we'd always have him front and center, because the Spirit living in us is even more intimate than Jesus was with his disciples, like in here versus out there, right? But also, maybe it makes a certain sort of sense. Because after all, we'd drop dead if we stopped breathing or our hearts stopped beating. But we don't spend our days thinking about our breath and our heartbeat, checking in, making sure they're still going. Their very intimacy is what makes them forgettable until our need for our breath or our blood brings them to our attention. If we're winded or frightened, then we feel our lungs sucking in. Then we feel our heart pounding. And that's the way a lot of us treat the triune God who lives in our bodies, God with us. We remember him, we count on him when we're stressed, when we're scared. But there's another time and another way when you remember your breath and your blood too. Though the busyness of our lives means it doesn't happen all that often unless you make time for it. You remember your breath and your blood when you're in silence. When the noise of life goes very still. When you're the first one up or the last one awake and the house is quiet. Then you can hear the air that gives you life moving softly in and out of your body. You can hear the gentle thrum of your heartbeat pumping blood. You have to stop and listen for it. And it's the same with God with us. You have to make the time. You have to tell the world to hush and then be still and remember and attend. Make the time. I know it's hard, but what could be more important? I carry the Holy Trinity in my body and I'm going to get distracted by binging Netflix or endless cable news, doom scrolling or losing myself in social media. Having that extra nightcap that means I won't be able to wake up early to pray? Well, listen, I know all too well that the devil uses the subtle temptations just as much as the big ones. It's so easy to make us forget that God is with us. So right now, wherever you are, whether you are sitting extremely piously and attentively, or running on the treadmill, Or washing the dishes. Or yelling at the kids to quiet down so I can hear about how much God loves us. Listen, I've been there. I want you to turn inwards. To pause and feel the air in your lungs and your hot pulse. That's your life. That's the life God gave you. You're alive today. Consider the miracle of that. And now dive deep, deep, deep into your heart to find the blazing hearth where the fire of God's love burns. Scripture says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, the heart is the altar at that, the center of that temple where we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And there is light and there is heat. There is the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is the God whose love for you means being the God who is with you, even within you. And I'm talking to you individually. Who, me? Yes, you. You. The love of God is not a circumstance you wander in and out of. It is not a heat lamp on a patio you can sit closer to or further away from. The love of God is God with you and you carry that with you everywhere, every moment, in your waking and in your sleeping, in your remembering and in your forgetting. And in fact, the only thing that changes about Emmanuel, God with us, is how attentive we are or aren't to God's presence. Now, Scripture says that we can quench the Holy Spirit. And oh, that's a terrible thing. And it's possible that through sin in your life, or through neglect of spiritual things, the neglect of the Lord, that the flames have gone out on the altar of your heart. Or maybe it's your situation. Maybe you've experienced so much lovelessness from other people that you've despaired of there even being a God that could really love you. It's possible that your heart has grown cold and dim and you don't feel the Lord there. And perhaps you've even built up a wall within yourself against God's presence. Because these are hard times. This is a hard Christmas. Who are we kidding? Look at us. And when we're feeling hurt or alone, it's so easy to double down and aggravate the pain and reinforce the isolation and so maybe you've doused the fire of the Spirit that would otherwise animate and quicken you. But hear this. Scripture says that God loving you isn't up to you. God loving you isn't up to you. You may have poured water on the Spirit, but Scripture replies, Love is a fire that no waters avail to quench. And no flood to drown. And God with you, that's not up to you either. Whither shall I go then from thy spirit, the word asks? Or whither shall I go then from thy presence? If I climb up to heaven, thou art there. If I go down to hell, thou art there also. You might be able to drive other people away from you, but people's love is fickle, not God's. Because God with you is a decision that God has made. You are lovable because God says so. Because God loves you. God the Father who sent the Son to be with us, who sent the Spirit to be in us, that through the Spirit we might carry the fullness of God in our bodies. This is not a story This is not a way of looking at things. This is not a worldview. This is a real spiritual power that has chosen by God's grace and election to dwell in you. And which you can know and recognize and feel in your own life. And it will transform you. And if you cry out that through sin or neglect or despair the altar of your heart has gone cold, will I tell you there is an ember burning in the ashes that is God with you and you cannot extinguish it and you cannot expel it. And as long as you draw breath, you can return, return, return and breathe the breath of your repentance, your prayer on that ember. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And by God's grace, the flame of the Spirit will grow again. Won't you do it? Won't you do it? Won't you turn to God? And how do I know? How do I know for sure that the ember still burns? Because I'm looking at a camera and I don't know who you are who's listening. How can I be certain that God is with you? Well, I guess to be sure, I should ask some questions. Are you stronger than demons? I'm assuming a no. Uh, are you more powerful than angels? I'm guessing also no. Can you reach up and touch heaven? Can you stoop down and scrape hell? No. Did you call yourself into life? Pretty sure a no. Are you the master of death? No. No, you are weaker than all those things. Okay. Well, then I am sure that God is with you. I am sure of it. Because if none of those things, neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present or to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation, if none of those things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, as Scripture says, if none of those things that are stronger than you and stronger than me, can drive away God's love, then what would ever make us think we were up to the job? What makes us think we could ever separate ourselves from the sovereign God who named himself God with us? Even when you can't feel it. Even when you can't bring yourself to believe it. Even then, God is with you, God loves you, and He will never, never, never let you go. Believe it or not, it's still true. God is with you, you with God. You are never alone, you are never forgotten. And no matter where you are, or what you do, you are never beyond the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Emmanuel, God with us. Happy Christmas, beloved. Amen.